Father, today we stand on those commands. We decide today that we will not be moved, we will not be shaken. We decide today like never before that our lives belong to you. Whatever comes, we're yours. Would you take a few moments to tell the Lord that right now? Whatever comes your way, you belong to Jesus. Let the Lord know that from this day forward, even if you said it before, say it now, from this day forward, I'm yours, Jesus. I'm following you. I'm not going back to my old ways of living. This is what you created me for. This is my purpose. This is my destiny. No matter who comes with me, no matter what good days are ahead or bad days, I'm belonging to Jesus. Just say those in your own words right now. As we get ready to get into the Word, we're preparing our heart. We're all in with you, Jesus. We've made our decisions that we are all in with you. Father, we thank you today that you're able to keep that which we entrust to you to the day that Christ comes back. So we have let go and let you have it all. We let go and let you have it all, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless them one more time, church? Thank you. You may be seated in the house of God. Oh, how many are happy today to be in church? Amen. Isn't it something how the weather keeps springing back and forth uh, from hot to cold? Oh, thank you, my brother. How many think that the weather needs to get to pick one, one or the other, hot or cold? And how many would choose it should stay at least hot or warmish? <laughs> I cannot believe that yesterday there was snow on the ground. I know I should be used to that. We live in Chicago. Some of you are like, Pastor, just get over it. It's hard for me just to get over that. Like I was ready for the sunny Chonkla weather. And then I had to like think to myself, am I like shoveling snow today? Is that, is that going to be what I will be doing? Some of you are just over it, and it's okay, because I'm the pastor who talks about weather. Other pastors talk about sports. What would you rather my small talk be, sports or weather? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we're a sports church. There are some of you who love sports. That's cool, but we're more about the weather here. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Good to see everyone. We'll be doing some baptisms here in just a few moments. I'm your friendly neighborhood pastor, Joe Wyrostek, and I want to serve you with the Word of God here for the next few moments. In first service, we're going through the book of John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, honoring God's Word making sure that we get what God has for us. Last week we were in John chapter 4 and we talked about living water. Living water is important and it should uh, help us to understand the grace of God. I spent a lot of time explaining how the Christian faith is different than other faiths and one of the ways that Jesus taught us to see it as something that freely flows from his throne, this living water. And everybody else in their religion outside of Christianity, is trying to do things to get God's approval. And yet, Jesus said to this woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him for water, and you would never thirst again. Now imagine Jesus saying that, not to the best of us, but to the worst of us. In that time, Samaritans were looked down upon. So if you were a Jew, you would not have thought the Messiah would make such a great promise to a Samaritan. Now we know racism, culturalism, elitism, you know, social, um, social uh, ethnocentrism, all of these isms are sin. But Jesus picking this woman was on purpose to show us 
that he sees past all of that and he sees the need of her thirst. We also notice that when she wanted to talk about where should I worship, where should I go, what is that religious thing that I do, Jesus didn't point her to all of these rules and laws. He pointed her to himself. He said, if you knew who you were talking to. So she was supposed to recognize Jesus. You would know he would give you the gift. So the gift of the eternal life of living water is connected to the gift giver. Think about that just for a moment. That everything we need connected to the gift giver comes through Jesus Christ. Gifts are given by Jesus. Everybody tracking with me? His presence, spelled P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, brings all the presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Is that how you spell presents? Spelling becomes hard for me at times. His presence gives us all the presents we need. Is that what you hear from the Roman Catholic Church? Is that what you hear today? I'm just being honest. Do they tell you, come to Jesus, he'll meet every need? Is that their message? No, what, what is it? Jesus is good. But hey, by the way, did you meet Mary yet? Have, have you talked to the priest yet? Have you gone to this special place in, the, uh, in Chicago where the bridge now has an image of a saint? Have you gone there to pray yet? Have you visited Rome yet and heard the Pope speak? You see, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't talk to us like that, does it? Let's be honest. Come on, can I hear an amen? That's not how they talk to us. They, they don't say, everyone, if you're thirsty, come to Jesus. Just get Jesus, and you're good. That's not what the, the Vatican says. That's not what Rome says. Their focus is not pointing you just towards Jesus. When you go into their church, do you see Jesus exalted in a risen state, or do you see him crucified still in a state of suffering? Where do you see your Jesus? I see Jesus risen. Why do I have to look at him crucified and suffering still? Is he still crucified and suffering? Where is he right now? So if we were, though I don't think it's right to be making images of him, I have in the past to be helpful to others, but if we were to have images of Jesus, where should he be right now? In heaven, on his throne. And what should be flowing from his throne? Go to Revelation 22. Go to Revelation 22. Just a review. This is for you. Somebody say review is for you. Now I want you to see Revelation chapter 22, end of the book. What is the picture that we get of the throne? And by the way, the Father and the Son share the same throne. There are not two thrones or a third for the Holy Spirit. The Father and Son share the same throne. Then the angel showed me the river of the what? Of the water of what? Of life. So the angel showed me the river of the what? Water of life. Thank you. As clear as crystal flowing from where? The throne of God and of the Lamb. Not the thrones, plural. It's the throne of God, who we would know as the Father, and of the Lamb, the Son. And then we see this throne, uh, this river flowing from this throne in this great city. So Heaven comes to earth. So one day, heaven will be on earth. How many believe that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we seeing here? We are seeing what is now in heaven is now on earth. 
So what is here on earth, is this something new to the aspect of God in his throne? I don't believe that. Why is that? Because Jesus is talking about water, as we'll read it in just a moment, coming to people. Where is that water coming from? Well, he's on earth at that time, so where would it be coming from? Heaven, but where in heaven? From the throne. Is everybody tracking with me? So why is it religions don't point us to Jesus exalted? We know now he's not on earth. I mean, but in the story he is. But now that his, his work is over, his crucifixion, his resurrection, why aren't we pointed to him on the throne where the river flows? Acts chapter 2, go there quickly, please. Why is that not our focus? Why doesn't religion point you there? Because for them, they don't have a job. And you see, if I wanted to really secure my job, then what I would do is come dressed up like mother in frills and chills and then have you call me father. Because what have I just done to you and your psyche? I have a robe on. You don't. Right? I have velvet on. You don't. Most of you don't. <laughs> I have a pointy hat on. You don't. I have jewels and, ge and gems of saints and figures. You don't. What does that do for me now? That gives me job security. I have something you don't. I get to do something you don't. I have a relationship with God that you don't. So, Joe, why don't you do that? Make more money, get bigger buildings, get bigger cathedrals, because that's not why I'm here. And neither were the first disciples. The first disciples were not trying to secure job security by trying to exalt themselves over the disciples by how well they said they knew Jesus. That wasn't their claim to fame. Even Peter continually got rebuked by Jesus. So what is Peter going to say? I was so close to Jesus that he called me Satan. <laughs> Satan, get behind me, you know. How could they use this as their claim to fame? They couldn't. So when they started the church, what was their quote-unquote job security? What gave them the right to do what they're doing? Look at it in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, verse 1, they were all together, the first disciples in one place. Acts of the Apostles, that's the name of the book here. Chapter 2, that's close to the beginning. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one one of them, all of them, the women followers of Jesus, the first apostles of Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, Lazarus, whoever was in that upper room, we find out in chapter 1, it was 120 of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so often other religions come to us as Pentecostals because we relate to this day and they say, what is wrong with you speaking in tongues? We think you're drunk. We think you're out of your mind. Scroll down further in this passage and you'll see that's exactly what they said of our apostles. Look at it. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine to drink. Do you understand that Peter and the apostles claim to authority, claim 
to job security as apostles did not come from them being given special clothes to wear, a special place to sit, a designation of them over people by names and titles. No, they were given the Holy Spirit along with their brothers and sisters, mocked and ridiculed, and then given the word of God to preach. Look at verse 14. Then Peter stood up among the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Does he start speaking on his own behalf? No. Look at verse 15. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel or Joel. What do they begin to do? They begin to speak the word of God. Where does Peter's authority come from? It comes from the word of God. Why is Peter given the right or the authority to speak? Because he's been filled with the spirit of God. Is there anybody here that wants to be like Peter? I don't want to be like the Pope that kisses Korans. I don't want to be like the Pope that covers up religious abuse. I don't want to be like the religion that oppresses people through their years of working with governments and regimes. Don't even get me started on how bad they have been over the years and what they did to us as protestants, burning us at the stake so I could hold this Bible in your language today. Don't get distracted by that. Just look at your life today. What is the reason why you and I are here? Is it not because you are here listening to someone filled with the Holy Spirit preaching the Word of God. Is that not why I have a microphone in my hand? Because in a few moments, I will blend in with the world just like you. Jeans and hoodies and tennis shoes. Let's go <laughs> out to eat, you know? No one's calling me Father Joe because I don't look like Father Joe, even though I have just as much education from the cemetery, I mean seminary, as they do. I have not come to be... Your Pope, I have not come to do that, nor should you feel comfortable with someone doing that to you. You should want to be with Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the word of God. You in the story are the Peter. You're not the other people making fun of them, are you? I mean, if you see, there's basically two characters in the story here. There's the disciples filled with the Spirit of God, speaking in tongues, preaching the Word, and then there's the onlookers making fun of them. Which one are you? Somebody say, I'm with the disciples. Amen. Now go to chapter 3 of Acts. This review is becoming a little bit long, but I'll get to the passage in just a moment. I want you to see in chapter 3, Peter heals a lame beggar. Now we know that's by the power of Jesus Christ, but this beggar is there looking for something. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about ready to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as John did. Then Peter said, look at us, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. Do I have a ring for you to kiss? Do I have a special seat in the Vatican? No, no, no. He said, I don't have that kind of stuff to give you. But what I do have is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. 
Early on in the Catholic history, they began to recognize that they could no longer say they did not have silver and gold because they had plenty of it. And they also began to realize and say they could no longer call the lame to walk. They had plenty of gold now, but no power to heal. Now, all of this happens. This man jumps to his feet. Now, notice this in verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, just imagine how excited he is holding on to them. I mean, this is a powerful moment in his life. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or by our own godliness we made this man walk? See, today, it wouldn't be, don't look at me. It would be, please keep looking at me. Now let me move from the Roman Catholics. Let me go to the famous conference speakers that you and I have seen all over the who's who of the Christian evangelical zoo. How many more of them need to fall before we stop idolizing them? Years ago, I said to this congregation, and I stand by it now, vindicated by the word of the Lord. I said, Hillsong has gone off. They are no longer preaching and teaching the word of God. I went through the founder, Brian Houston's publications. I pointed them out on the big screen. How many were there for some of those days? A few of you. I told you he does not have a backbone. He does not preach. He has covered up things in the past. We as Pentecostals point our finger at the Catholic Church. They are our whipping boy, as it were. One man told me, he said, why are you always messing with the Catholics? Because they need it in Jesus' name. I'm here to help them, not hurt them. But I am an equal offender. I will mess with my own. In case you didn't know, Hillsongs comes from the same denomination. We're non-denominational, spirit-filled Pentecostal, but we relate and have, have history with the assemblies of God, as do they. Somebody say, my people. That's my hente. And I called them out to you very clearly. Years ago, I put up the red lights. Be warned. Danger. And I remember people who were loose visitors at that time or attendees of our church offended that I would do such a thing because it almost seemed like I was a speck inspector. As the Bible says, why with you in a plank in your eye, this big railroad tie, you're trying to get a speck out of your brother's eye, do LASIK surgery. First of all, I don't have a plank in my eye, thank you very much. I am the laser surgeon in Jesus' name. And I've had LASIK, and they are very good at it as, as the ones I've gone to. So by God's grace, that is what I do, by God's grace. Anybody listening to me? That's what I do. That may not be what you do, but that's what I do. That's what I get, uh, as they were to say, that's what I get paid to do. I study this word. I dissect it with a scalpel to a laser's edge. But can I be honest with you? It, it, there was no scalpel involved there. That was an axe. It was so obvious that the fruit coming out of that stump was bad. Ark, Association of Related Churches. In our Bible college, I would speak to the pastors, and I would say, this movement has gone off. They have chosen being seeker-sensitive towards the person rather than being Holy Spirit-sensitive. Be warned. And now if, if I were to bring up the blogs of the Christian 
world, you would see these movements being exposed at the highest level right now. Am I proud of that? No, I'm ashamed. Why? Because the world doesn't care if I was right. All they have is more ammo now to ridicule you and I when we go out and preach because they don't go on the streets anyways. We meet the real city of Chicago, do we not? They meet their friends and family dressed up and cute on Sunday, and I appreciate you for coming cute on Sunday, but I see all your friends and family who aren't cute on the streets. And now all of this is given is more ammo to the enemy, to the devil, because we don't fight against, fight against flesh and blood, but against these powers and wickedness to ridicule us, to close people's ear to the gospel. Now they'll have another excuse. Well, I don't have to listen to this uh, ministry, Chicago for Jesus, because I just heard, and it's literally in Atlanta now and other places because they have movements everywhere. These leaders are being exposed. Some of these pastors, by God's grace, are leaving that movement, some of it for good reasons, some for bad reasons, but it's just an upheaval. And now just think about it. You're in these cities preaching, and people see our ministry or other good ministries, and then what do they say? All you Christians are alike hypocrites. One of the main leaders on anti-anxiety medicine, drunk, went to a woman's hotel that wasn't hers, a hotel room, God have mercy. And it was covered up in 2019 only to be exposed now. And it's like they knew about it, but it took so many people outside of their church to expose it for them to pretend they care. God have mercy. If I ever need anti-anxiety medicine, nothing against those who, who, who need those things, but if I ever need it, I need to stop pastoring and get my mind right. Are you guys listening to me? I'm not saying that, that everyone that deals with anxiety has sin or, or moral issues. I'm just saying as a pastor, that not ought to be in my life. I should be at peace without medication. And, and if for whatever reason I would need that, I would want your support, I would want you to help me, and if that would need to be my lifestyle, I would want to submit under another pastor who would not need the medication. Can I just be honest with you? So I just want to make sure I'm very clear because we are not an anti-mental health. We are your advocates. We actually send people to professional mental health um, Clinic, clinics and so forth. We don't just do pastoral counseling here. We understand our limitations. But I just want to be very honest with that. In this church, if I had a physical, mental disability or a illness that required me to have medication to sedate my my um, my my anxiety that comes through the chemicals being out of line, I would not want you to submit to me as your final authority. I would not trust myself because how do I know this is not my anxiety versus the medication now? And you see, we're people of the Spirit, and that means we listen to the Spirit. And so I can't hear the Spirit clearly if I'm on medication because I don't know if it's the medication talking, if I'm just high or sedated, or if it's the Lord. And I would say, please let me serve you in some capacity, but let me serve under someone who doesn't need that. Can I just be honest with you? But then God have mercy, because I want to be very fair, because the Bible says, do not judge, lest ye be judged. For the same measure you judge others by, you yourselves will be judged. I do not want to be judged by a different measure other than the word of God. So whenever I make a godly judgment, that is the differentiation. It's not my judgment. It's a judgment of the word. I want the same standard, so that's why I want to be clear as I go on with this rebuke. But God have mercy. If I were to be on that medication, 
then to mix it with alcohol, knowing that that is a recipe for disaster, and then to go into a woman's hotel room. And then after that, be asked to step down, not step down, and then you guys allow me to keep going because you're afraid the show won't go on until everyone else hears about it later through investigation because everybody's always looking for a crack in the church. Are you listening to me to get in? And then now you have to pretend you care about it? No, God have mercy. Can somebody say that? God have mercy. So I wanted to make sure I, t- I was an equal offender, okay? So I'm not just talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm also talking about our people. Why have we missed this so much? Why have we made the people with the microphone our superheroes? Why are we thinking when we go to the cathedral, we get something different than what we're supposed to get right here? In one sense, you do get something different. You get the word of man, but here you get the word of God. So my question to you is this. When it comes to the woman at the well that we're about ready to read, her story again, are you thirsty for the living water? Are you thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Are you thirsty to be filled with God's presence? Because that's all that matters. Even Peter said that. He said, it's not my power. Look at those words again. Why are you looking at us as if it's by our own power or by my own godliness, like his uprightness, him doing so many things right in life, achieved for him another level, like my you know, child playing Fortnite, that he got an upgrade because he beat so many people. So, so Peter's saying, hey, the reason why I could do this, guys, is because of my godliness. So right now, There is no difference between you and I. If you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Word of God, it is now God working in and through you, not your power, not your godliness. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So what's stopping us from doing the things of the Lord? Should be nothing, amen? Go with me now to John chapter 4 and let's hear this story. I just want to remind us, this is the beauty of Christianity don't even have me get, get started with Islam, right? Islam says, do this, do this, do this. And then maybe on judgment day, you'll have this. Or Hinduism with karma, do this, do this, do this. And maybe you'll, ha- you'll, you'll pass the karmic cycle. What does Christianity teach? God plus nothing equals everything. What is Jesus teaching this woman at the well? The rivers are flowing from the throne of God. Come and get some. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. John the Apostle wrote this. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went once again into Galilee. So Jesus is not actually water baptizing. He will baptize in the Holy Spirit later on, as we see in the book of Acts. Water baptism is what we do. Now, he was water baptized, but he wanted to differentiate himself from his role. He was not here to water baptize us. He was here to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Remember that. Now he had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founders of the Israeli faith, the Jewish faith, the son Joseph is the one that God used in Egypt to be a leader. This is that story. It's a backstory to where they're at. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. God in the flesh got tired. Why? Because God allowed his flesh to feel what our flesh would. Did God in his spirit get tired? No. 
Did God in his spirit ever get hungry? No, but God coming in the flesh felt hunger because he allowed to feel, he allowed himself to feel what flesh feels. So if anybody ever says, how could God take on flesh and get hungry? God is never hungry. God is never tired. God never uses the bathroom. They're missing the entire point. And just go to the scripture, just to remind everyone here, we may have some visitors, of what the first chapter of John teaches us. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, quickly, sir, please, thank you. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. John 1, 14 now, please. And the Word became what? flesh and made his dwelling among us. So just look at John 1, 1. Scroll up so they can see it, please. The word is what? God. Okay? And then in John 1, 14, the word becomes what? Flesh. So if I put on a wool sweater without a t-shirt underneath it, my skin's going to get itchy. Are you guys tracking with me? If I don't put on that wool sweater, I'm not going to feel itchy. God not putting on flesh, he'll never get hungry. God putting on flesh, he's going to feel hungry because he put on flesh. Is that confusing? For some reason, other religions don't get that. They keep trying to say that our God is hungry, therefore our God is not really equal to their God. That gods can't get hungry. Gods can't do this. My friend, our God is the one and true God, and he came in the flesh. By taking on flesh... He related to everything that has to do with flesh. Did he get dust in his eyes? Yes. Did he have to use the bathroom? Yes. Did he get hungry? Did he get tired? Absolutely. Now, does that mean he is the Father? No, there are three persons who share the nature of God. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So when it says no one has seen God, what is the God that they have never seen? The Father. Who is the person of God that they have seen? Jesus. Who is it we see at Jesus' baptism coming in the form of a dove? The Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one in their essence and being, but separate in their persons. The Catholics didn't get everything wrong. Amen? How many believe in the Blessed Trinity? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What we protest is everything they did outside of the Scriptures. We don't protest what has happened in the Scriptures. We thank God for their charity. We thank God for what has been done for the good of Christ. And the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity is something we have in common with the Orthodox, the Catholic, and other mainline Christian denominations. But why are we Pentecostal? 
because of scriptures like this that teach us that the Father sends the Son that the Holy Spirit may come in us. Going back to John, please. Jesus is tired. He sits down with the Samaritan woman. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus asking her for water. His disciples had gone into the town for, to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Those brackets come from John. John the apostle is explaining why there's a confusion there between her and Jesus. The Jews as a people group looked down on the Samaritans because they were half Jew and half pagan and had at times sided with the nations against the Jewish people. The Jewish people, wrong as they were, had ethnocentrism towards the Samaritans. Jesus is breaking down two barriers of his culture. The real feminists were Christian, not only in American history, but in biblical history. Can I hear an amen? Jesus shows that he places the value on the woman that even at that culture they did not place. So here she is a Samaritan Woman, And the second wall that he breaks down is the wall of the cultural divide. She is a woman and she is a Samaritan. A Jew should have nothing to do with either a woman. Men don't speak to women, especially in public. And Samaritans were looked down upon as half-breeds. And so Jesus shows her, I don't see you that way. Jesus is inclusive of all people's genders and of all people's ethnic backgrounds. Can I hear an amen? One race, the human race. And so she's a bit confused. Now Jesus clarifies in verse 10. Jesus answered her. Now notice this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. Swipe back over to Revelation 22. It's helpful to pay attention in our introductions, right? Because here it's handy. He said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for what kind of water? Living water. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now where is the Lamb? The Lamb is next to her. The sun is next to her, so that river is flowing from heaven out of that throne to Jesus. And he is now speaking to this woman saying, if you knew who I was, you would let me open up the floodgates and fill you right now. Going back to John chapter 4, please. If you knew who Jesus was, you would have living water. If Muslims knew who Jesus was, they would never have to pray towards a black rock in Mecca. Are you listening? If Roman Catholics knew who Jesus was, they would never ask a priest to forgive them of a sin ever again. They would never be hand-fed communion. Today, if the Pentecostals and the churches like Hillsong and Ark knew who Jesus was, they would stop making their superheroes out of Peter Pan's from the pulpit with tight pants and little pointy shoes and weak sauce gospel messages. Are you listening? They would stop going to the feminine as men, as examples, and they would be masculine men of God, the kind of men that men want to be like and women want to follow. And then the women of God would not be involved in late hotel meetups and other kinds of disgraceful things. A woman of Zion ought to say, oh, pastor, you've come to visit me. 
You want something, I can tell. Please close your eyes. It's coming real quick. That woman of God then should take off her shoe, put her arm all the way back, bat him across it, and then say, that's what you get, Pastor, for showing up here in my hotel room asking for something. That's what you get in Jesus' name. (laughs) Half kid. A woman of God, and I know there are victims of power and authority, but a woman of God should not accept sin from her pastor, her priest, or anyone in authority. Rebuke them quickly, tell on them, expose them, get it handled in Jesus' name. And trust a church to be your advocate. And there are other churches now that are being exposed because they do not want to advocate for the victims. They want to cover up those in authority. I literally say this, and I mean it, to hell with that. Why should we cover up our pastors and our leaders while the innocent among us hurt the most? Maybe it takes someone today in a hoodie to help you realize that, but your children are more important to me than the pastors in this church. Do you understand? Your safety is more important to me than my reputation. And so every now and then something similar to that, though not on that extreme, will happen in this church where we'll hear of something happening in the home or hear of something that went wrong and we'll do our investigation. And I can tell you I'm tempted just like those pastors are tempted. Let's not really expose it. Let's try to figure it out. Say a wife says her husband has abused her. Wife, let's, let's just forgive him, sends you back home. You know, let's not make this a major issue. That temptation comes, but by God's grace, we have never given the advice. What that advice? You know what advice we give? We'll follow you right now to the police department and file charges against him. We'll bring you into our home and keep you safe so that he can go to jail and learn his lesson. We are not playing the God forgives you card here. God can forgive you, sir, while you're in jail. Are you listening? Now, before those who are fearing La Migra get upset, we're not calling La Migra here, okay? That is a different kind of law that we're asking you to abide by on your own and figure it out and we'll help you. The kind of laws that we stand by here and defend and call the police for are those that have to do with the victims being mistreated and their lives are in danger. God have mercy on a church that doesn't do that. Jesus said, if you knew who I was, in other words, you would ask for water and it would be yours all day long. Now the woman says, you have nothing to get water out with. Uh, The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Obviously, she doesn't get it. I wouldn't get it. No one knows this at this point. Jesus is on the scene breaking down things that no one has ever heard. As you are, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who actually had to dig the well, who gave us this well to drink from as his son did, as it also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, he's trying to get her mind off of this physical into the spiritual. He said, everyone who drinks this water, this water right here, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, this water becomes a river well inside of you. You don't just get a little bit, you get a lot of bit, hallelujah. And you get so much that it wells up and it flows through you. Some people say, I'm saved. It doesn't look like you're saved. The river hasn't touched your face yet. Smile like you're saved. 
Some of you say you're saved, but it hasn't touched your tongue yet. You don't talk like you're saved. Some of you say you're saved, but it hasn't touched your fingers yet because what your internet browser says is that you're still in sin. The well of living water needs to come up and flow through every part of our lives, touching our words, our thoughts, our fingers, where we go and what we do. Now the woman is starting to check in. She's starting to get it. She says, sir, give me this water that I'll never go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, now go call your husband and come back. How many know it's about ready to get real for this woman? Because up until this point, Jesus has showed that he doesn't hold against her that she's a woman. She can come and drink. Everyone can come and drink. Male, female, young, old, you can come. He has showed her that he does not hold against her that she's a Samaritan. She had no choice over that. Did you choose what house you would be born into? What year you would be born? I want to be born in 2020 or I want to be born in 1998. I want to be born in the year 1240. None of us chose that, right? Did you choose your culture? I want to be born into a half Italian Polish family. I want to be born Puerto Rico. I want to be born this. None of us chose anything. So Jesus is saying, all of that wasn't your choice. I'm not thinking about that. Let's keep going. But now Jesus is going to show you what he is thinking about. He has to have her deal with her sin. Because sin will keep you from God. Not your gender. Not your culture. But sin. Somebody say sin. And what is the middle letter of sin? Your sin, my sin, I, the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I will keep you from God. For either it is your will being done or his will being done. Sin is our will being done, is it not? So he says, go call your husband. She said, man, I don't got a husband. He said, you're right. When you say you have no husbands. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So she's had four mar- uh, five marriages, and then now she's just living with a man saying, I'm done with marriage. Even in Jesus' most intimate, inclusive, loving conversation of the beauty of the grace of God involved her sin. Why? Because sin separates us from God. Jesus wanted her to understand, this is what will break down your well. This is what will keep you from it springing into eternal life. This is what will have your bucket never be filled because you'll have holes in it where it continually leaks out. To have the well of God inside of you, you need to be born again. This is John 4 coming after John 3 where Jesus even said to a religious man, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. All of us need a new bucket. All of us need a new well to hold this water. For her, she had issues with sexual promiscuity. She had issues with her sexuality. And Jesus is saying, this is what you have to deal with. How many are glad Jesus talks about our sin? Never get discouraged when Jesus talks about your sin. There is a difference. When the devil talks about your sin, it's condemnation. It's to put you down. When Jesus talks about your sin, it's for conviction to lift you up. Condemnation brings you down. Conviction lifts you up. Can I hear an amen? Jesus is not doing this. Thank you. Jesus is not doing this to shame her. Jesus is doing this to teach her. That is not for you. This is not going to be your way. When we go to Jeremiah chapter 3, would you go there quickly? 
we see that it's important for us to have the right kind of water and the right kind of well because Jesus is giving us something that is important and he doesn't want us to lose all the good that he's given us. Uh, matter of fact, go back to the notes, please. Go back to the notes and scroll up just a little bit. Just a little bit to the living water, a little bit more, please. I don't think it's Jeremiah 3. It's Jeremiah 2. Thank you. Go to Jeremiah 2, 13. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. I don't have it all memorized. Can I hear an amen? Pray for me. Jeremiah 2, 13. Look at what this says. My people. Somebody say, my people. Amen. God is speaking here. He says, my people have committed how many sins? Two sins. What is the first one? They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. That's the first sin. What's the second one? And have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay, does everybody get that? Now going back to John 4, what is he saying to this woman? In other words, you have committed two sins here. Here are your two main sins. Number one, you have left me. You have left what God is asking you to do. And number two, you're going to something else instead of me to fill up your well, and it's broken. Does everybody see that? That is the problem of our world, is it not? They forsake God, and then they go to something else that is broken. What kind of results are you going to get? You're going to get broken results. You're going to remain broken, and you won't be beautifully broken. Don't let anybody tell you that. That's not good. You don't want to be broken in any kind of way. Amen? If you are broken now, get healed in Jesus' name because he wants you to change. He wants to change you and have you change. So he calls her out. He gets honest about her life. Then she says, sir, I can tell you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So I'm a little bit confused. We worship here as Samaritans because we're not really allowed Jews only. We're not allowed to go to Jerusalem. We're kind of, you know, made to be out here. And Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. So y'all don't know what you're doing. We worship what we do know for salvation is of the Jews yet or but a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain all of this to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Give it up for Jesus laying it down. Praise God. I have 10 minutes to give you the message now. We had a long introduction and a little bit long of Bible reading, but are you ready for the sermon? The sermon is on spirit and in truth. Going back there, sir, please, just a few verses. We need to be the kinds of worshipers, verses 23 and 24, would you highlight it for them, please, that worship God in spirit and in truth. I know that when you come to a church like this, it can oftentimes be offensive to your ears, but I hope that it opens the door to your heart. 
I myself am so discouraged and heartbroken for a Christian community that is continually led away from God and to broken wells. That is why I have to point it out. I don't point it out because I want you to say, Joe, you're so amazing. That's not what I'm here to do. What I'm here to point out, though, is why your disappointments, why your frustrations are valid. You have actually, many of you, have been discouraged by quote-unquote Christianity and you have been let down by religion and you're wondering why it's not working. It's because it's not where God is at and it's a broken well. What I want to do is call you to spiritual, truthful worship. And then you will not have to wonder where God is going on journeys where God is looking for where God is because when you worship in spirit and in truth, God is looking for you and will join you and find you every single time. Oh, I'm going to go here on a pilgrimage. I'm going to go here and fast on this mountain. I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do that. No, God is simply saying right where you are, worship him in spirit and in truth. And that river from the throne will fill you and you'll never thirst again. I'm thankful that when I was 18 years old and I was living in sin, that all I needed to do at my mother's kitchen table was start to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And the rivers of living water filled me. Have I learned a lot more since that day of 19, uh, November 5th, 1995? Have I gone deeper into truth? Have I gone into wonderful places in the spirit? Yes, but that day I understood that spirit and truth is the way to unlock the mystery of who God is. To be a worshiper means to be a servant of God, to serve him. It's not just a song. It's not just what we do when we come together and we sing songs to him. Worshiping him is on your job tomorrow. It's serving God in your family, husbands and wives and children to your parents. Worshiping God is doing all that God commanded living for him. And spirit means is you do it on the inside in partnership with the Holy Spirit, with everything that you have, knowing that God is worth it, knowing that God is worthy. Why do you not cheat on your job when your other friends are and they're getting away with it? Because you are a worshiper of God on your job, serving him in your spirit by truth, and it matters to you. That matters to you. Truth, aletheia, is that which aligns up with reality. Aletheia in the Greek, truth corresponding to reality, the reality of God, the truth of God. Later on in this gospel, Jesus will declare of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It is clear that Jesus is that truth. He is that which is true. Everything we discover in science was already there like an Easter egg placed by Jesus for you and I to understand. How dare we take our microscopes and telescopes and say we don't need Jesus anymore. That's like the child finding the Easter egg saying, I don't need my parents anymore. Who do you think put the Easter egg there for you to find? 
It was your parents. Who do you think filled that Easter egg up with little candies? It was your parents. Are you listening? From every technological discoverer of a phone to everything we've done in art and poetry, all the great achievements of exploration and science have all been doing this, following the mind of God, following after his thoughts, thinking the thoughts of God about gravity, thinking the thoughts about God in art. We try to draw what God created, and we call that beautiful. The Mona Lisa, God created. Now I as an artist or a man as an artist tries to draw what God created. How many know the original is always the best? God is the originator of all that is beautiful in art, in poetry. All that we are doing is thinking and singing and, and speaking after God's own thoughts. Anything that is good, what does the Bible say, comes from our Father. And so do you worship God in spirit and in truth? Uh, Vinny, would you come please as we get ready to close out? Because it matters. Can I get everybody's attention before we do the baptisms? Because it matters. Do you worship him in spirit and in truth? It's going to look like a way of living that you and I have never lived before. But it's not going to look as religious as you think it will. How many are shocked by how uh, irreligious or untraditional God is at times? Anybody else? You must not know him very well. Jesus blew people's religious minds all the time. I'm going to help you because either you guys were checked out or you weren't uh, having the kind of, you're not going deep with God because I'm going to say this very clearly. If you think God thinks in the context of religion, you don't know him very well. God is not about religion. When God was on the earth, he showed the Jewish people that these laws, we're not made to be the master of man. But man was made to be the master of those laws. He said, man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. The Levites couldn't get around God unless they had a garb on, had been anointed and appointed, performed sacrifices, and appeared on the days that God told them to appear, lest they die in his presence. Do you know one of the places I feel God's presence the most? In the shower. The exact opposite of everything you would think of a Levite priest doing. Levites, got to get dressed up, got to get appointed, got to have on jewels and gems. That was when it was approved by God, not what the Roman Catholics made up. These are actually commands in the Bible that they had to do, not what they made up, okay? So these were commands that were actually there. The Jews, you got to do this, this, and this, and this, and then you appear before God, and I am standing in my birthday suit in the shower, tears coming down my eyes, this close to God. How does that work? Because God's not into the religion. We're baptizing today not because of religion. We're baptizing today because everything that this thing stands for is the reality of what we're living right now in Christ. We are born as sinners, dry, separated from living water. We confess our sins as we stand in there. 
and then we are submersed not just given a little water, none of this pouring over the head of a baby. You don't find that one time in Scripture. None of that. That's why if you have not been submersed, water baptized like how Jesus talked, you need to get baptized today. That submersion over you as a baby was just a little cleansing. The oil was just to take away your ashy skin. Are you listening? You stand in that baptismal tank or water or wherever you're at and you confess your sins and you confess Christ and you are submersed into God's presence and you come up saturated that's what all that is that water has no power in and of itself but it's representing what we as Christians have on the inside of us right now and that we will forever not just, watch this, not just be wet with the water of living, the water from life, but now we'll be carrying around that baptismal tank everywhere we go, just splashing it on others, having the well of living water everywhere we go. And it even gets greater than that. It's not just a baptismal tank, it's a river. Are you tracking with me? That's what Christianity is about. That's what we're going to do here as we get ready to baptize. But if you don't know Jesus Christ yet, I would ask that you would repent of your sins and even consider jumping in with your clothes and we'll make sure you get taken care of because today's your day of salvation. This is a day for you to show God and the world that you mean business. And then for all of us here who are already saved, let's be worshipers. You know how a pastor stays out of trouble? Just being a worshiper of spirit and truth. You know how men stay holy and committed to their wives being worshipers you know how wives stay committed to their husbands just being worshipers there is no way you and I can be infatuated with loving God in spirit and in truth and ever divert from the path he has for us anytime you are or I am tempted and we are drawn off of the path of God onto the path of sin it is because we have stopped worshiping Next time, just try it. I really do. I give you permission. Next time you're tempted to sin, start worshiping God in your heart and spirit and believing God's word is true and see how far you can go sin in that temptation. You never will. You never will. Any time that I've ever sinned after being a Christian is because I said, er, stop worshiping, let me now do this. The habit of worship in our hearts, submitting to God, praying to God, making him number one, of putting his truth above our feelings. Well, I feel this way. I feel that way. It doesn't matter how you feel. The truth is what it is. Follow God's reality. It's an illusion that sexual immorality brings happiness. It is an illusion that homosexuality brings happiness. Are you listening? The sin brings an illusion. Just as if you were in the de desert and you thought you saw an oasis, but really it was dirt. This is the reflection of the sun. The truth of God is that holiness is right. Holiness is beneficial. Living righteous blesses your mind and your body. Obeying God's commands is good for your soul. Is everybody, anybody here listening to me? How many have served God and seen the results of it? Isn't it worth it? Amen. And so today I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, to know him. Because without his spirit, this is just religion. Church is just religion. Amen. But I want the real deal. I want a river today. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus? Band and altar workers, would you come? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for bringing us here today. 
We're going to see and hear the testimonies of those who are ready to be baptized. But before we do this, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't not uh, that does not yet know you or is not yet born again, that they will today, so that they can accept the living water into their life. If you're here and you don't know Jesus yet or haven't been born again, would you ask him to save you, to change you? Call out his name and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to save me. Watch what he'll do right now, next few moments. For the rest of us who are already Christians, would you look at your heart? Would you see if that well of uh, eternal life is touching every area or if there are areas that are, are neglected? Look at your heart and wherever is neglected, ask the rivers of life to touch. Lord, look at my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Remove from me any hypocrisy, self-righteousness, deception. In the name of Jesus, I want to be righteous. I want to be holy in all that I do. Guard my heart, Jesus. Guard my mind, Lord. Purify every action. Change what I do, God. Make me more like you in everything right now. Let the rivers of life flow through me. Touching and changing everything about me. Rivers of life. Rivers of living water. If you need prayer before we dismiss this service, you can begin to come. Just as Des begins to sing out from her heart about rivers of living water, just keep worshiping and praying. We'll dismiss in a moment. Rivers of living water flow through us. I pray for worshipers to rise here. You don't need a karaoke screen to start worshiping. Worship on your own, even if all you know how to do is say, Thank you, Jesus. Gracias, Señor. Gracias, Señor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Rivers, rivers. I pray for lives to change in this place. If you have been afflicted by the enemy, Satan, Satanas, in el nombre Jesucristo, we bind you right now and break that power over you. In Jesus' name, Satan is loosed over your life. If you've been battling Satan, come on up and we'll pray with you. Rivers of living water will change you from the inside out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, my brother. Come on, let's keep praying before we go. Rivers. 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 Mas.